afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have Milena Morling here in the studio with me. Welcome, Milena. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great oh. pleasure to be here. Oh, well, it's lovely to meet you, and, um, and I'm so glad you're in town. Um, this is a taped show. We're taping on Thursday, September 19th. Um, and Melina, you're here to, to give a talk um, with Michael McGriff. And uh, and Sarah Messer, and then also a reading, and that's correct, yeah. And the translations of uh, Thomas Transtromer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I might read a few of those, possibly, um, and some of my own work, and yeah. So so it's yes. going to be a, a, a great time, and so hopefully some of the listeners had a chance to go to these events in in person. But if not, they're going to get to hear a. a great hour with you today. <laughs> and so I'm so glad you're here. Um, without further ado, I'll read uh, a short bit of your bio, and then we'll go from there. Um, Malena Morlin was born in Stockholm in 1965 and grew up in southern Sweden. She is the author of two books of poetry, Ocean Avenue, which won the New Issues Press Poetry Prize in 1998, and Astoria, published by Pittsburgh Press in 2006. She has translated poems by the Swedish poet Tomas Trenströmer, a selection of which appeared in the collection For the Living and the Dead, published by Ecopress. She is currently working on a third book of poems and on editing Swedish Writers on Writing, an anthology that is part of the Writers World series, forthcoming from Trinity University Press. She is an associate professor in the Department of Creative Writing at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and core faculty in the low residency MFA program at New England College. Well, thanks again for being here, Milena. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. And I'd also like to say, um, published in many places, many awards. Um, so, yes, that very, um, uh, it's very good to, to have you here today, Melina. And I'm, I must say I'm really looking forward to your upcoming 
book coming out as well, the in the third book. So maybe we can even talk about that a little bit at, at some point. We, yeah, we could. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it too uh, <laughs> once it's ready. <laughs> I'm still sort of writing poems towards it. And it's a long process, sort of slow process for me, um, in part because uh, I do a lot of translation work and that's... A, been editing these anthologies and translating um, but yeah the writing um, is also I mean something that I'm always doing but and yeah before long hopefully there will be a third book and and does the translating also feed your own work in a certain way is it absolutely uh, absolutely I feel like uh, I learned so much from translating uh, from dwelling in in a poem by somebody else uh, I feel like uh, I, I I can't even put into words what I learned, but uh, just on the level of um, uh, familiarizing myself so deeply with a poem in, uh, I usually translate from Swedish to English, you know, let's say in Swedish, and it's almost on the level of, um, you know, needing to memorize it. So it's, it feels like mm-hmm. I really get close to the imagery and 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 the syntax and the lines and the logic of it or or so and and I feel like I learn a lot uh about writing in this different from this this different perspectives of these different poets so yeah it influences my work no no doubt how ex- you know specifically I don't know yet but yeah yes it's it feels like it's it's almost a process of digest digesting and and then something else it must nothing is without effect as a Somerset mom said you know (laughs) so yeah and and when have you have you always been translating as well as writing your own new poems Um, has that been a way you've always worked uh, I know I started writing my own poems Uh, that came first and uh, I started translating almost I didn't really plan to start translating I was um, an undergraduate at the time, and I was obsessed by. Was a, that at New York University? Uh, no, that was at Hampshire College, Hampshire in College. Amherst, oh. Massachusetts. Yeah, and oh. I, um, I remember I, I was obsessed with a book of poems by Philip Levine, and 1933, yes. and um, I, uh, I kept reading it and reading. It. I probably read it 59 times, and the 60th <laughs> time, I read it, I started hearing the poems in Swedish in my head and I was on an airplane flying from Copenhagen to New York after being in Sweden uh, for the summer and I uh, in the books just started writing down the the Swedish versions and of course I knew absolutely nothing about translation but I just did it because I heard the poems in Swedish and uh, so that's how I started and I you know and then by the time I landed in JFK I had you you had the full book of translation (laughs) I had the first draft (laughs) And then it took, you know, 17 more years to, you know, to really sort of um, develop it. But yeah. what And what was that part like with the 17 years? Was it something that you actually kind of got to know each of the individual poems as like isolated poems yeah. in 1933? And then that changed your original well, or, yeah, because you heard it. Yeah, and it must have been like an epiphany. It must have been. It was really uh, amazing. Yeah, and and I thought you know the poems sound so great in Swedish too. Like they really sounded like organic. Yes. And so uh, I, it was an exaggeration to say seventeen years, but I worked on the project on and off for probably 
12 years but I would work on it put it away and work on it and put it away and every time I brought it out again I would you know realize uh, or make small steps towards deepening the translations and and also just sort of you know polishing them and uh, although I I did um, over the years trans I mean publish uh, a bunch of them in Swedish journals but they didn't come out as a book until three years ago in part not only because I wasn't finished but it was just Sweden wasn't ready for Phil Blevin yet or something <laughs> which is mysterious to me but uh uh, so oh, that's so interesting to say, and I know you just say that casually, but it is so interesting to think about that. Yeah, like what that even means. You- yeah, I, I mean, I thought, I thought, you know, he would get published in Sweden as soon as I tried because he's a working class poet, and uh, you know, he, he, there's something so, you know, the the clarity of his language, the narrative quality of his work. You know, striking images. There's, you know, there's all this depth. I don't know why. I just thought, well, of course they'll publish it. But you know, for a long time in Sweden, when I first tried to get this book published, was really the dominating style was language poetry, and you know, people really into John Ashbery or Clark Coolidge or whoever at the time, and and so that, uh, so I think that was in part too. It was, it was kind of like it wasn't the time. It wasn't the time, right? But so I think it's changing. But so yeah. And did you at some point start working with Philip Levine? Then what did you say? Because he wrote the foreword for Ocean Avenue. So was there a time where you would say, this is what I think this poem is like the trans, like you talk about the questions you had with him or yeah it was some yeah yeah it was funny because after i did that all that translation on the airplane um uh, <laughs> <laughs> that year um he came to amherst massachusetts to give a reading and i couldn't believe it there this poet that you'd been obsessed with yes. this book yeah. yeah and um and i uh i remember going up to him after the reading and and telling him that i'm translating him into swedish and you know and he was very nice. He must have been tickled pink, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> no, he was so nice. And and I remember saying, yeah, I have some questions. Of course, I didn't know anything about translation, but I, you know, I have some questions about you know certain poems. <laughs> and I wondered if maybe at some time I could ask you. He was very gracious, and he's yeah. I think he, you know, he he, he at the time he was teaching at Tufts University uh, in Boston, in Medford, so not that not far, far away. So I think it, maybe he said, oh, you should come, you know, to Tufts and we can talk or, but, which I did. But this is what happened. I don't know. I can't remember the exact events, but I think I wrote to him again. And then he wrote back and said, yeah, come and meet me in, you know, during office hours or something. And, and I came in. I remember sitting there talk, asking these questions. And I remember becoming really self-conscious at the time. Like I, my questions were, you know, quite stupid. I mean, I, I, I just didn't know. I'd never translated before and I wasn't aware of all the, you know, issues of translation and, and you know, I, I, and a lot of the references or whatever. But it was extraordinarily helpful. He was so generous. I remember him, you know, t- telling 
stories about each poem I asked about, and he was just... But that would change then the poem for you. Then you could actually be in the poem in a different way. Absolutely. Like in more yeah. his way. Exactly. Which would be, I think, your goal as translating for him. Yes. Like oh, your... absolutely. You know, it was incredibly enlightening to actually hear him talk about, you know, the poem sort of when it came about, what, you know, what it was in reaction to, whatever. And uh, so it was a huge gift, huge gift. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, so that was, that was, I felt very, very lucky. It must have meant a lot to him that you had also, that this book meant so much to you, that that you started translating it on a plate, like you just just started, that you heard the poem in your in your own native language. I mean, that must have been kind of incredible for him as well. At the, I, I don't, I, let's I get him on the phone, know. Stephanie. We're going to call up Philip, friend of the show. Okay. <laughs> That would actually be grand if we could, if, if only I had thought of this before right this second. Um, but Malena, how did you, that? so that, you said issues, like um, you didn't, you weren't aware of the issues of translating. Yeah. So are there some certain things that now, because it is like something that you do, you do, um, what would that be? be or is there sort of something that's just so natural to you now you don't even categorize any of them well well i think you know starting out and being naive um uh and now i'm i'm, I'm st- you know still working at this, still probably naive i'm not saying i'm not naive but um uh is for instance i was very very concerned about getting it right and you know sort of almost literally you know translating the lines and uh and now of course having translated for so for so many years there it's 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 kind of more matter for me to almost look beyond the poem sometimes you know and 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 not go i mean a line by line translation is actually not a translation it's probably an inaccurate rendition and um uh so you know, translating a poem uh, is, is something else. You know, it's it's. Uh, it, I think I love what uh, Thomas Tronströmer said. He said that you know, uh, b- behind every poem there is an invisible poem, and, and a, in, in, uh, an invisible poem that exists beyond conventional languages. And when you translate a poem, uh, the goal is to to to, to make contact. It, it actually oh. to translate a poem is an opportunity to realize once again realize the invisible poem. So with that in mind, something I never thought of when I started out, um, I feel like uh, you know it's not necessarily a matter of you know lifting the 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 information and the meaning over to another. It's 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 a, has so many more layers. So. And it's hard. And thank you, because it's hard to talk about that, because that yeah. is like that's that's the that's what a poem is, no matter what yeah. language it's in. And then there is always that invisible poem. Yes. And I, I think it was Hayden Carruth who said the same thing. He said, you know, the real poem exists in the mind before the writing occurs. I mean, b- beyond language, it's the same thing. So, yeah. So so it's just kind of um sort of opens up a whole new layer and level, I think, to work with in a way. And and to realize also, I mean, as I 
the more I translate, I realize that you know, translation is an act of transformation, and and yeah, and, it, and it's actually such a beautiful thing that a poem is not a stagnant, static uh, thing. It's it's uh, as it trans it's translated, it's transformed, it's changed, it grows, it's living. Yeah, maybe you know, it, maybe. It will mean something else slightly, but it's living. Yes, yeah. it's not static. And and you, as the translator, you you are in it as well as the original writer and the reader. So, sorry, sorry. Oh, and you are in yeah. the the poem in a way like uh, like the original yeah writer and then the reader. Yeah, it, yeah, uh, yeah. That's true too. Yeah, I guess. Yes, well, that's let's, point. let's take a short break and we'll be right back um, on Living Writers today. Milena Morlane is here. Um, we've got her books on the table. Ocean Avenue. Um, let's see. Thomas Transformer's first poems. Notes from the Land of Lap Fever and Astoria. We'll be right back. was young, I'd flee this town, I buried my dreams underground, as did I, we drink to die, we drink to If you're just tuning in, I'm glad you did. Um, you've got living writers. And today on the program, Melena Morlane is here. Um, we've got her wonderful book um, from New Issues Press, Ocean Avenue, with a forward by Philip Levine. We were just talking about briefly in the first quarter. And we've got Astoria on the table, too. Um, I'd like to, I'd actually like to thank Kimberly at um, New Issues Press. Press for sending this copy of Ocean Avenue and Maria uh, at a, at Pittsburgh Press for sending Astoria and and Carl for sending um, this wonderful book by Tavern Books that is it's an it's it's a lovely book of yours, Melina. Yeah, isn't it beautiful? It's a beautifully made book, you know. I think and, and in these two parts, like the Thomas Transformer's first poems with a commentary by Jonas Ellerstrom. Yes, and then notes from the land of lap fever, an essay yes. by Thomas Transformer. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's uh, he wrote that when he was twenty three years old, and it was published in in the Worker, uh, 
a, a newspaper in Sweden. And uh, recently, my translation partner Jonas Ellström came across it in the library, and he was just he had never read that piece before. And and so yeah, we got very excited and translated it. That's amazing, and, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's like a, 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 some treasure that yeah. that you guys found. Yeah, and it, it it's it, it's in a way it's full of the imagery that was to come in his work. And I mean, already at age twenty three, you know, just the, the richness of the language is just remarkable. And 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 the final lines too. Oh, oh, by the way, Carl says hello, Melina. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> From <laughs> Carl. Um, no, it's just, it's so incredible. Like, in fact, it, it, do you mind if I read the last line? No, please. please. <laughs> and a spoiler alert, you can turn down the radio for a moment. You don't want to hear the last line of this essay. But um, in weak moments, the landscapes we have grown up in matter with a weight that is crushing. Yeah. Just, yeah. All oh, right. A That's moment wonderful. of silence there for that great line. Yeah. And and then this these earlier the the first poems because of course there's the 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 book of his poems that are called like 17 poems. Yes, that was his first book. Yeah. And, and when he was 23 that book of poems came out. Right? Yeah. But then these poems that you you and um Jonas has worked together on those were actually in his high school. Yeah, I wrote uh, them paper? in high school. Yeah. Or so, yes. Or literary journal in high school. Exactly. Right? Yes. yes. Uh, it was, um, you know, he went to a particular high school in Stockholm uh, called Södra Latin, and uh, it was sort of known for just having very strong cultural studies or, you know, theater, literature, etc. Et <laughs> yes. And when Thomas was there, I mean, he was there with a handful of other uh, people who became big writers in Sweden, too. So it was such an incredible time, you know, and... Uh, and yeah, that's when he he started writing, uh, you know, hanging out with these other people, and 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 of course, it was almost like as soon as he began to write, there was already a formulated heft to his line. Yes, is there you know? a, is there a part of one of these that because I was struck by that just that it was such a young person that was yes. writing these these lines and uh, yes, how did you decide to? to work with Transformers work than Malena? Well, it's almost impossible um, not to, being Swedish myself and just loving his work so much and then now living uh, in this country and writing in English since so many years back. It almost seems natural. I, you know, it's impossible not to, for me, to do it. Uh, though I started doing it... Um, I began translating him in graduate school at Iowa. Um, And uh, yeah, so that was when I first started. But yeah, it's just it's just one of those things I I want to do. You know, it's just how could I not? It's it's, so there's some sort of um, is it because it sounds like it's because what I was going to say was it's like a a reckoning with him because it's like he's someone who's like a like literally a compatriot and yeah, and and, in, in your own land. But it sounds like it's something more that maybe because of the love of the poems themselves like what they yes yeah no they mean i think to you even as an expat or so or absolutely or, no i feel like i they they mean so much to me they they it feels like home on one hand because of all the obviously the setting and the the landscape that is present in his work and 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 also that's swedish there's a sensibility that's so swedish uh obviously i mean i guess that's just what happens but um but i think 
his work has meant so much to me, uh, uh, you know, as a, I've started writing myself. And so it just kind of comes naturally that I want to also translate some of his poems. And when you yeah. say when you say Swedish sensibility, um, is it those moments like this this knowingness about landscape or how the air feels or what what do you mean it's, by that? I guess that's a hard thing to even define, you know. Uh, sorry or, to ask. Yeah, no, no, not at all. But but it's interesting because earlier today in in a previous conversation, a graduate student asked an interesting question. She said, you know. How it's something about how do, how do the objects and places translate in in a, a transformer poem? You know, are, are the objects sort of different I, in mm. English? And you know, so I, I think that was sort of her question. And and I, I just had this I just had this feeling that you know it's interesting to think about languages because you know the world actually looks slightly different than swedish you know and slightly different in english so i remember when i learned english it was almost like there was this sort of gradual three inch shift mm -hmm. in my perception like with and, the language construction itself yes. not just like because the known quality of light in a place where you see the objects is different but actually That's, what the language is imposing exactly yeah so there's that element too of course because the sunlight looks different in sweden but also the language, the Swedish language, the texture of the words, you know, is different. The shape, I mean, there, it's yeah. kind of actually kind of a straight language in a way. Uh, English is rounder for me. It's more malleable. Swedish is kind of stricter, like more block-like. Mm. But, but aside from that, you know, uh, a cup looks different than Swedish, you know, or or or, or tablecloth, or so. There's like there's a slight <laughs> experience like that, and that's that's what it is. Yeah, that's what's so fascinating. So yeah, so part of the Swedishness is that, right? Just because you know, it's just the stuff, you know, the stuff we lived with, we live with, you know, growing up, um, and uh, and I guess there's also a Swedish sensibility. I don't know. There is. And <laughs> so how does that work in your poems that you're writing, Melina? It's interesting. I'm, I'm sure it's all there. Yeah. yeah. And I don't even know how because it's me. Because <laughs> yeah, it's you. It's right. me. Yeah. But, but, I, but I think there is, for me, I mean, for instance, aesthetically speaking or stylistically speaking, I like simple, simple, you know, what's, what's remarkable about a Thomas Tronstromer poem is the lines are very straightforward, direct simple never simplistic they're complex but but on the surface but then of course below the surface is this incredible depth in his yes. work but there's this aesthetic simplicity in a sense and i think which also makes it very translatable and that's why he has been translated into over 60 languages because the language itself is open that way and it's not you know uh, ornate you know it's not convoluted in any way and but what about that then that poem that you understand that's like the part of the invisible poem and those the depth there yeah 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 no no it's it's yeah that's it's, it's <laughs> doing hand gestures now in <laughs> yes. the audience yeah. <laughs> yeah no the amazing thing about a thomas transformer poem is is the depth that floats up to touch the words because it's i don't know of another poet who who has such a you know um, depth of perception and maybe it has to do with that Thomas worked as a psychologist and uh, I don't know he's he he there's something special about him because of that and and because of who, of who he is but so 
Yeah, so it's so yeah. Of course, the the invisible poem. Yeah, it, it becomes complicated. It's <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. Though. Yeah, yeah, about, yeah. But uh, but I do I do feel like um, in my work I strive to be direct too. I I don't know if I succeed, but I that is no, something I feel like I get from maybe being Swedish. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think well. Could you read a poem from Ocean Avenue? Oh, I'd be happy us? to. Would yes, you? absolutely. Which one would you well, like oh, me to read? Oh my gosh, is it? Well, I, if you're taking requests, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, which would you like to read? I don't. It doesn't you're, matter. Well, um, there's so many th- that I would love to hear. Um, uh, but I wondered if you could maybe read the for Joseph Cornell. Yeah. Um, on a- page eighteen. Eighteen, sure. I'd be happy to. Okay. For Joseph Cornell, not to arrive, not to ever know how to arrive or how to live even here on Utopia Parkway in Queens. This is for the soap bubble sets and the sandboxes and for time that moves like a silent film through a projector and for the eyelids of the blind and for those who are gradually becoming blind because they don't know what they can't see. A blind woman on the bus the other day all of a sudden commanded everyone to look outside. And when we did, we saw nothing except warehouses in the rain and the rain thrown around by the wind. This too is from my sister, who walks home at night from work at the sugar factory in the newly fallen snow. It's for her cough and for her kindness, which reminds me of your kindness and of the unseen stone that floats beneath each cloud and of the herring in the buttermilk and the other mussel shell mosaics of wonder. Thank you, Melina. Well, you know what? Let's take a short break and then we'll come back uh, to talk more and hear more poems today with Melina Morling on Living Writers. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Melena Morling is here. And thanks to Stephanie for engineering. <laughs> and Stephanie's saying everything's going to be all right. And thanks for picking the songs for us, Melena. Oh, also, thank you <laughs> for having me and for asking me to do that. It's fun. It's great. It's like very, yeah, that, that Marley song. We could just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we could just keep playing that one. Yeah, you know, it's a great one. <laughs> um, we have we have Milena's books on the table today with us. Ocean Avenue, um, Astoria, um, and we also I'm, I feel so lucky that you have this sheaf of 
new poems here. Um, yeah, too. it's it's a it's a manuscript um, uh, that will be an anthology of Swedish poets. It's called "The Star by My Head," and it's uh, coming out later on this fall uh, from Milkweed Editions. And um, yeah, so it's 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 Swedish poets, eight different Swedish poets. How? Uh, so when you're putting together an anthology like this, are these these are all your own translations or are you asking other people to translate particular poets or how does an anthology like this work? Um, no, this is I, this is translated uh, mostly in uh, collaboration with Jonas Ellerström, my translation partner in Sweden. Um, and um, and some of it is uh, my own um translations uh the transformer is mine um yeah so it's just really translating the the you know the poems that i love the most or that you know kind of it's it's this is not a representative anthology you know as far as this it doesn't uh, speak for all of sweden for no, all time no it's it's no. more probably more of a reflection <laughs> of me and and Jonas and that's yeah so that's kind of wonderful yeah too yeah it's a different approach yeah well, will you read one for us? Yes, and since we have been talking about Thomas Tronsdrummer, I thought I'd read one of my translations of uh, of one of his poems. It's called Nocturne. I drive through a village at night. The houses step out into the headlights. They are awake. They want to drink. Houses, barns, signs stray vehicles it is now that they assume life the people are sleeping some sleep peacefully others have strained features as if they were in hard training for eternity they don't dare to let go of it all even though their sleep is heavy they rest like lowered beams when the mystery passes by Outside the village, the road runs a while through the trees of the forest. And the trees, the trees resonate silence between them. They have theatrical color that occurs in the light of fires. Their leaves are so clear. They follow me all the way home. I lie about to fall asleep. I glimpse unknown images and signs drawn on the inside of my eyelids. On the wall of darkness, in the crack between wakefulness and dream, a large letter tries in vain to push itself through. Thank you, Melina. And so that's one of your favorites. It's, yeah, it's one of my, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean... There are many favorites, but yes, and it, and yeah. it seems like it's 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 about it, well oh, <laughs> about so many things that we couldn't that w- this could be a whole program talking about the one poem. Yes, um, but I I wonder is it something about that letter in the last moment that's pushing through that is something uh, like the creative um, or yeah I mean you know it's interesting a lot of. Transformers work is really about the meeting place between the internal uh, life and, and world uh, of the mind and uh, and the outs- external 
world that we live in. And he has a way of kind of bringing that meeting place, of, of revealing that. So that's why I feel like at the end, in the crack between wakefulness and dream, a large letter tries in vain to push itself through. And it's so, and it's so, and it's in that, so actually was on top of that, it, a lot of his work, or maybe what I was trying to say, is that it's also about the meeting place of dream and wakefulness. So, yeah, so there is that, that kind of. Uh, surreal yeah that seem almost and yeah and then of course the letter you know yeah it, what what is the letter you know yes because that in vain part yeah yeah so uh, tension laden and wistful as well yes so. yeah so it reminds me of one of your poems in Ocean Avenue um, with the uh, it's one, I'm, I'm not going to know the title right now, Melina, so forgive me, but it oh, is, no, um, oh, there's here, we, I opened up to letters, <laughs> so there we go. Um, it's the one where there's, um, uh, you're wondering about how can a mind be contained in the hair under a hat. Oh, yes. And yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yes, and, yes. and people having haircuts. And yes, like cutting it's in the beginning. Yes, so it, do I, um, do you want me to read it? Or, I well, or, if I you'd like to, would time, you, which, yeah. yes, yes, if you'd like if if you'd like to. Like, but it's, I think it's this yeah. is an all request show. <laughs> Too bad it isn't one of the live ones so that people could call in their own requests. <laughs> it's called Self Portrait with Lights and Teeth. Yes. What a great title. <laughs> <laughs> looking at myself, looking out the filthy window of the train at dusk. I don't know how it fits, how the mind fits beneath any kind of hat or hairdo. The stale fluorescent light inside office buildings and partially lit apartment buildings passes through my head, along with street lights and the white and red lights of cars traveling on the expressways, one interminable line of rubies and diamonds pours out the middle of my forehead like an awful liquid. Also trees, the intricately crooked and bare trees, how can they sail in and out of my skull swiftly without getting snagged in the net of my thoughts? Do I end here, at the tips of my fingers, at the top of my head? Does the world begin there on the other side of the cold glass, where my reflection calmly raises or floats straight through the brick and metal of warehouses and schools and schoolyards, where at this hour no one plays chess or hopscotch or compare notes on the anatomy of the human body in the poor sheen of a street lamp. The man sitting next to me is holding up to the overhead light and studying teeth, the outermost part of the skeleton. I don't know how it fits, how the mind fits beneath any kind of hat or hairdo. Were I to reel my thoughts out, they would reach through the years, through the months I lived through, the weeks, even the days before arriving in New York. For the first time, I saw that every scissors in every hairdresser's or barbershop was the scissors of the cosmos, cutting the hair of eight million people. 
and eight million people on different days tried on hats of various shapes, inside of which flowed the endless spaces of eight million minds. I love that one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> What's it like to read that poem now? It's a while. It was. It's kind of. It's a long time ago that I actually read it and or thought about it. Um, it's okay. It's not. It's, <laughs> You won't, you won't hold it against me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun to to read it in a way because it reminds me of when I wrote it, you know, in New York and yeah. And but it also reminds me of that, you know, coming to New York from Sweden when I was a teenager. Just over, you know, what it, all those people and eight million people. You felt that crush like that. The, yeah, um, because you know, in Sweden. When I was growing up, we had eight million people in Sweden, on the, and the idea that in Manhattan during the day was eight million, it was just something that boggled my mind. Like on this a few kilometers, you know, space, and it just it, it just sort of woke me right up. I think in a way. And so. Well, well, it seems like you you that's a, a such a like wonderful way to say it because it's you're. It's like you're so aware in this, the poet, in this, the narrator of this poem is just so aware of everything that it's hard to even, like, everything's blending even in, yeah. the, in the vision and in just yes. the awareness of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, an incredible place. I mean, just also the, all the methods of transportation and their people. I mean, it's just, you know, the mind. Yeah, it's just, it's an incredible. Well, this poem, I can see that, like, I think that's why I I was thinking of this poem after you read the translation of Nocturne by uh, Transtromer. Because this one, I feel like your poem, The Self-Portrait, um, has, it feels so surreal when you're mm-hmm. using the images and how the trees are passing through your brain with the window and not getting caught in the nets of the mm-hmm. mind. And so it just fe- it feels uh, and, and interestingly surreal. And, and also like the lights, like the because you're sort of in a similar time of day, also maybe towards evening, yeah. as in the poem you just yeah, read. Yeah, and it, traveling, it, yeah. It, and tra- so it feels like they're, I don't know, the, that you're in good company yes yeah yeah and, and the poem is too yeah yeah no thank you yes yeah no there's that the idea of travel you know is is so evocative uh you know going from well tra- just travel from daytime to nighttime and and, and, and also in, in thomas's poem here you know traveling towards the point of sleep and all of that and yeah it's 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 a sort of a rich idea but let's let's take a short break and then we'll we'll come back and we'll, we'll hear more poems. Okay. Um, today on Living Writers, Milena Morling is here. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Milena Morling is here picking the songs. Tell us a little bit about the last one, Milena. <laughs> it's by Tom Waits. It's from his album Real Gone. And this particular song is called Green Grass. And it's, it's really incredible, I think. Um, you know, he's a poet, I believe. And uh, he... Uh, and a storyteller, you know, and uh, and an extraordinary singer and musician. But I just love the I just love that song, love it. Have you ever um, written a poem when you were listening to that, or just you were walking around with that song in your head? Or I, that song makes me never want to write because <laughs> it's just perfect. <laughs> I don't need to. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> So that's got to be probably in the top three worst questions I've know. ever asked anyone. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it's just that I, I I feel like when I listen to Tom Ways, I, you know, there's no need. <laughs> well, we've got, uh, well, hats off to Tom Waits. <laughs> but I think you should throw your CD away. <laughs> um, Melina, I also, I was thinking, um, What's interesting is that I forgot to even ask if you were writing poems in Swedish now. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. Um, and I only written two poems in Swedish in my whole life uh, because I started writing when I was here, when I was, yeah, after I came to this country. And how, when did you come? I came in high school. Um, my father was working as a foreign correspondent for a Swedish newspaper in New York and, and I came uh, when I was in high school for two years. And it was during that time that I began to write poems in English, uh, mainly because uh, I had an a English teacher who loved poetry, so he would read poems to us and give us assignments to write. But also because I felt it was easier for me to write a line of poetry than to write a sentence. I had a hard time figuring out the sentence and forget about the paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, in a way, it, it just lent itself to me, I, you know, the sort of short clipped <laughs> it, lines it was it was friendly where some people are frightened of a poem somehow yes. and instead it was more friendly yeah maybe because i wasn't quite i didn't quite speak english yet you know fluently and so yeah it was friendly for to me at that point so yeah and so what were the poems that you have written in swedish well i just wrote when i i wrote a poem for my grandmother's funeral i was not able to go but i wrote a poem for her oh. and that was something that just sort of came and uh, and that would have to be in Swedish. In there's, it, well, yes. there's no question. Absolutely. Yeah. And then and then I, at another time, I wrote a small little poem. I was in Sweden. I don't know. I don't know what happened. It just happened. But yeah, that's that's did, it. Well, did it feel different because you had mentioned sort of that that there's that feeling where you know you're three inches to the side, like with that that block with that. How was that? Yeah, I, I feel. Um, I, you know. I love the English language. It's so mellifluous. It's so malleable. It's round. Yeah, it's round. And it's it's huge. I mean, there's so many ways to say things in English. In Swedish, we might only have one option. And and, I, and that feels very limiting. And Swedish to me is, and it's, Swedish is, of course, a beautiful language. Uh, but it, it feels much more, it's a smaller language, so less vocabulary and less uh, malleability. And, and I think that suggests, a certain, you know, in, in a sense, a narrower structure that's imposed on the way you express yourself. So after I started writing in English, yeah, I never had the urge to, you know, write myself in Swedish. Uh, but and, but I, when I wrote those two poems, um, 
it felt heavier than writing in English in some ways. It was enjoyable, but... But heavier. Yeah, heavier somehow. Well, you've been writing in English these last... Yes. <laughs> and we've got some new poems here on the table. Milena. Yeah. Um, would you like me to read one? Yes, <laughs> sure. that would be great. Okay. This is called See the Second. See the second and the second second, like quick marks vanishing. And look at the minute, how it has time to collect, like a raindrop on the underside of a railing, before it too drops into the past. Half an hour is a doorway to a hallway of bird flight and graph paper. An hour is a whole room of time, high ceiling with a fray of clouds, below which cars are driving and driving as if they were being filmed. And the day, the day itself, is nothing but a towering aviary of light we are in. Thanks, Melina. So that is that a living writer's debut for that poem? Is that? Uh, is I have that, read it a few I, times. Yeah, <laughs> I could pretend. Well, we can't have everything, I suppose. <laughs> so, why did you choose that one to read first? Like, what is that about that that particular poem? That's something because it's it seems. Is it fair to say it's somehow leading the others at the moment in some way that the, you, you then you go into the others? Or is this a random? Yeah, I don't know. I often put it on t uh, first. And so I don't know exactly what it is. But uh, maybe it feels general. It's about time. <laughs> Looking at, you know, sort of the constructs of time, the shape of the constructs of time. Um, don't know. Maybe it's the repetitions. I'm not sure exactly. Mm. But... It, it does seem like it, so for me hearing that I can also connect it to how time is moving in some of your earlier poems too. Oh, wow. So that's uh, when you when you began. I was like, Ooh, we're gonna yeah. get very close now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, would you mind reading another? Movie? I'm happy to. Yeah. Um, this uh, next poem is called Final Analysis. What if, in the final analysis, there is no final analysis? What if it just goes on, the way the clouds go on floating this evening, over all the invisible bank accounts, and over the rubble that holds the details of our lives? And what if it's not unlike a film strip of seconds, that flows through the years, through all the places we have ever been, even briefly, such as a doorway we stood in while it rained, or a roadside wreck site we passed with its small white cross in the dark on Route 14. Or for that matter, the entire city of the moon, or Cleveland, seen from an airplane as it weaves its way down through the high layers of air inside of which we are and which is everywhere now equally clear. I'm so glad you chose to read that one because now we're on a plane 
Because <laughs> we've been on a bus, <laughs> yeah. a train. Yes. I mean, <laughs> we're still traveling. <laughs> you know, do you have a submarine in there? A boat? <laughs> yeah. a boat? Do you have next. a boat? A ferry? And I'll, I think, uh, yeah, my goal is to ride a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, I feel like you do have a bicycle poem. Are you kidding? I feel like I just read one. <laughs> Well, can so because you just read us that one, Melina, could you tell us a little bit if you were if you if, if you remember, like, how did that one come into being? Was that something that was were there fragments and then you you thought that they went together or was it something where it came to you because it's moving? I guess that's one of one of the reasons why I'm asking, because it has this wonderful like it travels. It's the scope of it is. Yeah. Grand. Yeah, you know, it. This actually is a fragment. It's born out of fragments because um, there were two different poems to begin with. And I realized they were one, but um, but I had a teacher once who always kept saying, "In the final analysis," and then he would, "In the final," and then I thought. Well, in the, what if in the final analysis there is no final? <laughs> so it was just I kind of became obsessed with the phrase. So it was born out of that, and um, so even so, the title itself is from some completely some other thing. But you felt like these things were yeah, once and, you brought them together. Yes, and then yeah, there's really I don't know exactly why they came together, but they did. Yeah, it, it was the idea of the film strip of seconds that goes through or all the moments that kind of yeah somehow tied it together i guess do you want to give a shout out to the the, the teacher who said the final analysis i do because you know it was joseph brodsky who who was my teacher uh, as an undergraduate and he would always say that yeah so yes i want to thank you <laughs> joseph um and uh yeah wow. and i saw so i Maybe wow. I should say something. I mean, I feel almost like I should in the poem, you know, mention his name. Or I don't know. Oh. But I, and I and I I've tried before, but I, I don't know. But, anyways, uh, yeah. So he would always say that, you know, and and he was an incredible teacher. I mean, it was amazing to to listen to him. Um, but it was funny how he always said that. Yeah. <laughs> and we all have our things, don't we? Like yeah. Not, oh, never, yeah. We don't necessarily always know what our phrases are until no. you start seeing the students go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then later on, let you know. Right. In poems. Yeah, yeah. exactly. After your death. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe, so maybe there's a way he can still know. Sometimes it's better not to know, perhaps. But that's, yeah. that's really... That's, is is he one of the, the people that maybe inspired you to, to, to teach as well as, as write poems, Milena, or Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've been so lucky. I've had such great um, teachers. So it seems so natural to, after having had many great teachers, mm. to teach as a way to say thanks, I guess, to give back. But uh, uh, he was extraordinarily inspiring um he was, you know, he would lecture um, for hours. I mean, just talk, and and it was just inspired the whole way through. You know, he was just sort of, yeah, he was incredible, and uh, and very, um, I mean, such a passionate uh, uh, person, and would all, you know, always talk about the poets that he loved the most, like, and um, so yeah, I feel very, very lucky. So yeah, 
which which besides this particular the final analysis final analysis poem which other one do you think that would would he have wanted to hear in, that you in the sheaf here oh i don't know i mean he in, you know it's, i never actually had him as a i don't he never knew my work uh, because this was more a lecture on poetry so i don't know i really don't know what he would like but what's i can last, guess what's the last one then you'd like us to hear let's see here um Uh, I'll read you this one. It's called uh, A Max Box. Uh, It's for my son Max. If a box is funny because it's not a bird. If a box is a river or a shopping cart on fire. If a box is a road that curves down from the sky. Or even an escalator going up through the blooming Vigilia. It must be a max box. And in turn, if a box is weightless but fixes to house the entire chewing gum factory in Kana Johari, and if, if it happens, you meet the people inside the TV before there was TV, it must be a max box. Mm. The same goes for any invisible box of falling snow or any box from inside of which you might catch the uncanny song of a clown's imaginary canary, as I just did here in the lobby of of Hotel Bienvenido, where the peonies smell like the wind and where Max himself can be seen drawing in his yellow and blue soccer shirt the high math of another severely dilapidated roof. I, sh- I, I should say this, my son actually said to me when he was little, you know, he's now 15, he was probably five at the time, he said that, you know, he, you know, he met the people inside the TV before there was TV. <laughs> So that's where it... That's the max box. Yeah, that's, that's the where max, it started. Exactly. That's where it began. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Melina, for oh, talking with me today. Thank you for having me. Great pleasure. Come back Thanks. anytime. Thank okay. you. Thanks so much. Today on Living Writers, Melina Morlane, her books Ocean Avenue, Astoria, um, also her translations of Thomas Transformer's first poems and notes from the land of flat fever. And soon, look for it, the next book of poems will be coming. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks again to Stephanie for engineering. Um, many thanks to you, Melena. Thanks so much again for having me. <laughs> Until next time, I'm T. Hetzel.
WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Uh, that's right. You're listening to 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and this is the Daily Sports Report. My name is Mike Lewandowski. On the other side of the glass, I have a pair of Andrews. Andrew Shapiro and Andrew Hausman are going to join me today. And uh, we've got a, a pretty interesting uh, sports day today. Not a ton of stuff going on, Michigan. Uh, doesn't have anything in particular happening uh, during the middle of the week this week. They uh, play a couple hockey games this weekend, and of course Michigan football travels to Iowa. Uh, Michigan basketball is going to uh, Puerto Rico for a tournament with a very long name that I can't remember right now. That the it's a Puerto Rico Invitational Tournament uh, in which Michigan will be playing Long Beach State in the first game. That's coming up as well. Uh, but uh, as far as uh, anything to report on. We, we've already talked a pretty solid amount about Michigan's victory over uh, Northwestern in triple overtime, so we're going to uh, stay away from that. And then Michigan's lost to Iowa State as well. But there are some more interesting things on national and even international sports news. Um, one of the ones that I just wanted to uh, mention that you know we're not going to really talk about because I don't think any of us have the uh, knowledge to discuss um, skiing but uh, Lindsey Vaughn, who's one of the U.S.'s, certainly the U.S.'s top female skier, uh, uh, heading into the Winter Olympics in Sochi in 2014, has partially torn her ACL. She was in a crash, uh, and she it was already one of the 